Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. In this episode, Leanne Pomranke, author of Embodied, Clergy Women and the Solidarity of a Mothering God, focuses on biblical storytelling. Her session was shared via Zoom at the January 14, 2021 event, Care for Church Leaders, Storytelling, Rituals, and Embodied Practices for Resilience. I wrote this book called Embodied, Clergy Women and the Solidarity of a Mothering God. So obviously I'm into metaphors. And I think that part of our exhaustion right now, or at least my exhaustion, I will own that, is that we are contending with vastly different metaphors for God, versions of the Christian faith on display in public. We are metaphors for God in action, and we can be and tell better versions than the ones that are in the news spotlight right now. I find that the act itself of asking, what if God is like, is a question that can release some of the paralysis caused by for example, rigid, militant portrayals of God. Now, obviously all metaphors break down at some point, right? Uh, but they also have tremendous potential for empowering us, gaining insight and fostering creativity. So my plan for this segment of our time together is to offer you two examples from my book of reinterpreting first a story from the Bible that has been used to wound some people, and second, a pattern of church leadership uh, based on the metaphors that I'm living out. I will invite you also to reflect on how your own experiences could be used to reinterpret uh, biblical stories or church leadership models in more life-giving ways. So I'm going to begin with a story from Genesis that we often call the fall. It has been taught that since Eve first ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, women are to be subservient to men. Even though, you know, in the story right there in scripture, Adam seems to be right there next to her, hearing the whole thing, doing the whole thing, she hands him the fruit and he eats. Okay, fine. So that's one version interpretation that's out there. When I looked closely again at this story from Genesis, from my own place in the world as a preacher and as a mother, I recognized something else going on. Going to read from chapter one of my book. 
The chapter is called The Wait. Waiting seems to be key to becoming parents and prepares us for this identity. What if planting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden was not designed to test Adam and Eve's faithfulness? What if it was done so that God could wait? Then mother the two through their mistakes. God and human beings could thereby become family. Now the children's defiance can be assumed in the plot of humankind. We know what we are like. But through presenting a choice in the form of a tree bearing tantalizing fruit, the creator-creature relationship turned into a parent-child relationship. This relationship is even more fundamental to our identity and faith than the original sin. The pattern of every biblical story from then on becomes thus. We think we know better, but God will never stop loving us through every failure. God will be there as a mother who cannot let us suffer without experiencing great agony herself to pick up our pieces. God waited for her children to act independently, giving them the means to make the choice, but preparing them to make the right one. If we are going to see the time in Eden as any kind of test, perhaps it is one of God mothering for the first time. God becomes a mother when she has to abandon parenting by decree and adjust to loving children through the consequences of their defiant actions. God no longer operates on the premise let there be, and it was so, because loving parents know that is never the end of the story. What is a mothering God's first step following the admission of Adam and Eve's guilt? She makes them close herself. God knows the human beings are ashamed. That is the natural consequence of having their eyes opened to what they have done. Yet God does not dismiss their actions. There are consequences and God will let them live with them. God takes her time and demonstrates loving care to meet their new needs created by their defiance. The act of sewing clothes for Adam and Eve is what mothers do. We make a way for our children to move forward even when they do not deserve it, creating an opportunity to learn to recover from their failures, not simply to follow directions blindly. This loving nurture is even more potent when done with our own hands.
sewing those clothes ourselves. You may just be the leader that is prepared by your life experience to improve on the interpretations that are out there. My approach to exploring metaphors for God is the same as my approach to looking at how leadership in the church is functioning or not functioning. I think if we ask, what if it could be like this? Often enough, it opens us to different models and we get to decide what are the life-giving models instead of what is expected of me? What must I do now to stay afloat? Which is exhausting. So I have a chapter in my book called Divided Attention and Loyalty. And this is my personal uh, soapbox. The thing that has given me resilience in parish ministry is diversifying my calling. Uh, for me, obviously, it's writing, but also editing and other things. I'm going to read a passage where I'm making the case for the life-giving side gig from chapter seven. None of us are one dimensional. Our teachers do not live at the school as kindergartners may believe, nor do our pastors live at the church. We should not have to hide one role to step into another. The tension between our multiple callings may even be faithful, reflecting the image of God in us and perhaps challenging us to become better at all of them. As persons of faith, relatives, friends, neighbors, students, or employees, we all have parts of our identity to balance and blend together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier are some of our human attempts at describing how God's actions are divided yet always connected. Somehow, God does not stop being one member of the Trinity to also be fully present in another one of the three. The different persons of the Trinity are in relationship with each other, perhaps in tension, but also supporting and strengthening the others. If only we could appreciate the divided attention required by our multiple roles. Now, before I continue reading, I just want to say this book is written both for the leaders and for congregation members to read together. Every chapter has at the end of it reflection questions for a group 
to discuss together. So in this chapter, I've got a section about it is good for the pastor and a section about it's good for the congregation. But given who you are, we're reading this one. The pastors I know who have lasted in parish ministry are those who have a ministerial identity outside of caring for their parish. Congregations benefit from the stability of their sustained leadership and the ongoing renewal provided by this outside ministry. I know pastors of congregations who work on a team in college campus ministries or run some kind of demographic fellowship group, such as for adoptive families or queer young adults. One dear friend is a parish priest and also a marriage and family counselor. There are those who present workshops, keynote at conferences, or consult in their areas of expertise. My circle of clergy writer colleagues is ever expanding, giving us life by using our artistic and teaching skills. It all helps. Burnout is a looming threat when congregations or denominations are declining and the only ministry identity clergy have is within the congregation. A congregation's failure to thrive can feel like our own failure when really that abundant life depends on many factors. We need divided attention and loyalty to know that the family systems we tend are not our only identity. They are certainly important, central even, but not all that defines us. Okay, so dream with me about the world in which this is possible, where there is space and also value ascribed to you having a life-giving ministry side gig. Just dream, what would your side gig be? Well, in conclusion, I want to affirm that you are called to this work because God has given you the ability to make connections in words and actions reflecting God's own being in the world. Your experiences will speak deeply to someone who needs to know that God is real for them. So keep going with the what if questions. <laughs>